Welcome in, everyone, to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined, as always, by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and, as well, the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. The Talking Tide podcast, available at Podbean.com, our web host and various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And uh, if you've tuned in to the first Sunday nighter of the season, what we've got for you is a, a, a recap on Alabama's victory, resounding victory over Duke in Atlanta. And Travis, as we bring you in, uh, you were there in person. I was uh, uh, couching and, and surfing uh, on my Saturday. Uh, you, on the other hand, uh, soaked it in live. I did, and I can tell you it wasn't quite the same environment, Chase, as the uh, the last two trips to Atlanta for Alabama. Uh, you, you knew that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, Georgia in a national championship game, Georgia in a Southeastern Conference championship matchup. You know, going in, I thought I saw the ticket man sobbing outside Mercedes-Benz stadium on Saturday afternoon but I didn't feel too bad for him Chase because I'm pretty sure he bought a small island off those last two trips Alabama made to uh to the venue to take on the dogs over there in the last year and a half yeah by the way uh the 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 ticket man is also sobbing a little bit on Alabama season tickets compared to uh the last year or two I happen to know yeah it's not really a premium for uh the Aggies in New Mexico State coming in here uh, Saturday to kind of kick things off on the old home schedule. You, look, that LSU game, too, uh, for down the road, the ticket man. Ticket man's going to have that purple and gold on Saturday night, isn't he? When <laughs> yes, LSU he is. goes to Austin. Oh, <laughs> no question. Have some, he'll have some gumbo going in a pot. You know, he'll be drinking a beta during the game. Ticket man. Ticket man's going to be big on the Tigers. Saturday yes, he night, will. Too. Yes, he'll be, he'll be speaking Cajun. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> But uh, getting to the game, Alabama 42-3 to over Duke, a final score that probably wouldn't have shocked anyone had they seen it, uh, had they not seen the game and only seen a, a final score buzzed by the ticker. Uh, but, Travis, if you watch this one from start to finish, uh, the one thing Alabama didn't do that they did virtually weekly last year was start fast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there wasn't that sort of patented opening possession touchdown drive for a score that we saw so many times a year ago. Um, but I wrote about this before the game at BamaOnline.com. If you paid attention to last year's Duke-Clemson game at Clemson, uh, you know that game was 14-6 to Clemson at the half last November. And it kind of played out that way Saturday with uh, Alabama and Duke. And, you know, Duke obviously trying to keep that thing as tight as they could. Uh, the Blue Devils could for as long as they could. And there were some there were some factors in all that. Um, you know, David Cutcliffe's going to scheme you up. And we knew going into the game with two true freshman linebackers, a true freshman nose tackle, but especially at that linebacker level inside, we expected uh, Shane Lee, Christian Harris, to see a lot of different looks. And, I mean, the first two series of the game, Chase, we, we saw that. I mean, we saw Duke go with some bunch formations. We saw Duke go with some uh, four wide receiver sets. Uh, the second series, they come out in a flex bone look, kind of a, 
a nod to Georgia Southern 2011, I guess, the 10 horn game from 2011, uh, even some Citadel from a year ago in which Alabama struggled a little bit with that. Um, so, you know, all things considered, though, Chase, I thought the two young guys didn't really flinch at all. And you got to give Pete Golding some credit in this as well. I don't know how scaled back it was. I know we talked about that uh, before the game. Uh, maybe it was going to be reduced in terms of, of what you asked of those two freshmen. Um, whatever the case, a combination of things, I, I was very impressed with Christian Harris uh, and Shane Lee in the game. And that was in addition to you know some regulars missing the first quarter of action. That was obviously a big part of the storyline on Saturday. Shane Lee with a fourth down stop. Uh, and it coming early in the game when, when the outcome was – uh, not obvious, and so uh, that that was definitely the play that stuck out for me. And a, a strong solo tackle to uh, turn it over on downs, give it back to the Alabama offense. A little bit later in the game, we saw Xavier McKinney get a fourth down stop on a short pass. Uh, but uh, Shane Lee impressive. I thought Christian Harris played well too. I thought his yeah, they both made six tackles for whatever reason. I thought. Harris's six were a little quieter than Lee's, but nevertheless, I, I, I agree. For what was thrown at them, uh, they played just fine. I mean, the triple option from, from Duke, that was fun while it lasted. Uh, and even the announcer said, I don't think they're going to stick with this for long. Uh, and they didn't. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, Duke threw everything everything but the kitchen sink at those guys, and, and uh, they, they, they passed a week one test. You mentioned the suspensions. A quarter, though, Travis. Just a quarter. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about this on the last podcast. Slightly different from what had been floated out there before the game. Um, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, Terrell Lewis, Devontae Smith. I thought the difference was clear and obvious. I mean, look, it was a scoreless first quarter. Those guys right. come in in the second quarter. You go into the half up 14-3, and those guys made an impact. Uh, they, 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 when they came in, the level of play team-wide, I thought, rose. No doubt. Uh, that's one of the definite takeaways we could have from the game Saturday is that Alabama, when not Robinson, uh, Terrell Lewis, and Devontae Smith are available – are a little bit better football team, right? Uh, because absolutely, when you look at the second and third quarters, that was essentially the ball game. 35-3, to Alabama outscores Duke uh, in the middle portion of the game on Saturday. Uh, I thought Najee Harris, you look at his stat line, you see 12 carries, 52 yards, a long run of 15 yards. Uh, he lost, a, a what, a 55-yard, 50-plus yard, 50 yard uh, reception. Uh, on a hold there uh, in in the first half, I believe it was. Um, but more so than even just his production, statistically, when he came in the game and Tua Tagovailoa was able to sell that play action to Najee Harris, had a little different effect on the Duke defense than, say, when you do that with Jerome Ford, who, give Jerome Ford credit, too, bounced back from the turnover early, uh, and was able to finish with some confidence there with the, the late touchdown run. Yeah, and uh, contributing also certainly to the slow start was some was some penalties up front uh, that erased a couple of potential big plays. What were your thoughts on the what you saw from the interior, the offensive line, Travis, and and the way they mix and match things? And I guess uh, I guess Ekior had a had a limp off that could keep him out yeah. of it. 
Yeah, that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on with Emil Echior going into New Mexico State week. Uh, Nick Saban postgame said it's an issue that he's actually dealt with in the past, so may have been a reaggravation of a previous situation there. So we'll see how the redshirt freshman responds again early in the upcoming uh, practice week. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of expected, right? I mean, a savvy veteran offensive mind like David Cutcliffe uh, and, and his defensive staff, too, uh, on top of that, um, when you combine the experience there of Cutcliffe and, and with his defensive uh, assistance, um, not a surprise that we saw Duke really bring some different things and some pressure just in general at that interior trio early, and they had some of their, their struggles, and I think you would say almost expectedly. Uh, you had holding calls on Chris Owens, the starting center. You had a holding call on Evan Neal, the true freshman left guard. So I wasn't necessarily surprised by a lot of that. But, you know, once Alabama settled in, especially in the second quarter, um, you know, it, it, it certainly improved when, when again, Najee Harris comes on the field. That that tends to make things a little bit better. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this. I'll say this for Steve Sarkeesian and – Kyle Flood, the first-year offensive line coach. I don't think I don't think Sark tried to make things easy on those three new guys. I, I think they tried to do the stuff that they want to do uh, throughout the season, right out the gate, and um, you know it didn't go as as smoothly as you would like. But I thought as the game moved on, what you saw was the depth that Alabama has, especially inside. Because on Jerome Ford's touchdown run there in the fourth quarter, you had a true freshman at center in Darian Dahlcourt. You had, to this point, a career uh, reserve in uh, Kendall Randolph at left guard. Both those guys get pancake blocks uh, there in the middle of the field uh, on Ford's touchdown. So, yeah, it's a work in progress, I guess you could say, Chase, when you talk about guard-to-guard guard with that offensive line. You know, I've been on record, I guess, the last week or two on Crimson Cover and I think on the podcast here as well that I think this is going to be a hell of an offensive line. Uh, yeah. And we've seen some dominant Alabama offensive lines in past years start out with a head-scratcher or two. Um, mm. So uh, I, my conviction in that, for the moment anyway, for now, is, is unshaken. Uh, you get Deontay Brown back in there a little bit later this season. Who knows you know, what, what that could do. We know that guy can, can really move people in the running game. And, but even without him, uh, I, I think that I think the talent that they've got and the size that they've got, uh, once the experience starts to come, I think you're going to see a, a a strong line, a, a, an outstanding line. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Tua Tungavaloa definitely got a touch on his performance before we uh, move on as well. Travis, uh, he throws for 336 yards. He's 26 out of 31 and uh, cracked. Uh, Starting to crack the record books, actually, was his seventh career game with four touchdown passes. That tied an A.J. McCarron school record. Uh, And uh, also through his seventh career 300-yard game, uh, which is a record that uh, Tungvaloa holds alone. Yeah, and another QBR quarterback rating north of uh, 200 in the game. And, And with just five incompletions, uh, and four touchdown passes against uh, zero interceptions. I thought early in the game with all the heat that he was getting, 
you know, he answered some questions about, okay, how's the ankle, how's the knee, you know, because regardless of what we've seen from him in the offseason, even through the summer, obviously uh, talk of the hamstring in the summer, keeping him out of the Manning Passing Academy. Uh, physically, uh, everything looked great, you know, and I, I thought it was it was needed early too, Chase, because with everything that was coming his way in the pass rush, he needed all of that to sort of maneuver the pocket and, and do the things he did. But, you know, I thought all the throws were on display. Duke was really intent on taking away the deep ball. You saw that early. He tried to go up top to Jerry Judy. Uh, again, not much bite on a play fake to Jerome Ford. You got people bailing, uh, you know, to the, to the deep parts of the field uh, defensively. But, uh, you know, showed some maturity in, in taking some more of the underneath stuff. And why wouldn't you? I mean, again, these wide receivers after the catch continue to be just absolutely dynamic. And not just in terms of speed and explosiveness. You know all that about these guys. These guys are tough. I've said it before on more than one occasion. These guys finish plays with a physicality that sort of belies some of their physical makeup. I know in what you do with NFL.com, Chase, with Jerry Judy, there's talk about strength and size and things like that. But you look at a guy like Devontae Smith. If you look at Devontae Smith at 175, whatever it is, you think, this guy, you know, if I'm a corner, I'm thinking, eh, he's not going to take me on, you know. Well, Devontae Smith takes everybody on. The physicality uh, that these guys play with and their willingness to block for each other, Chase, you know, you keep wondering if maybe that'll wane a little bit as they, they, they get a little bit further along in their careers. And if anything, it's only strengthened, I think. Smith weighs 175. He plays 190 or 195. Yeah. Henry Ruggs weighs 185. He plays 195. Uh, you're right. I mean, th- those guys will come at you. They'll dial as, you up. As blockers yeah. and, and – uh, uh, when it when it when it's time to when it's time to get that extra yard, in a lot of cases, yeah, they'll they'll go straight ahead. So uh, uh, phenomenal performance, especially for Judy, ten for one thirty-seven receiving for the defending Boletnikoff Award winner. Uh, no surprise there. Tungavaloa and Judy, uh, a little more chemistry between those two at the very least, we can say, than, than any other receiving combination out there. As good as all the other weapons are, uh, if you knew before the game that, that somebody was going to go 10 for 137, all that smart money's on Judy. Just 13.7 per catch, Chase. What the hell's wrong with Jerry Judy? I mean, he's averaged about 19 a catch for his career. Everybody's talking about his first double-digit catch performance at UA. The guy only, only averaged 13.7 in the game, Chase. I guess they're saving that. needs to check on it. Yeah, I guess they're saving that RPO slant that he ripped off last year for 40 yards a pop. Holding yeah, that. the boys are the boys are kind of looking for that slant these days, you know, <laughs> kind of looking for that. Yes, sir. The Talking Tide podcast moving on. We're going to thank a few sponsors now, starting with North River Dental Associates, charter sponsor of Talking Tide, former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley and his professional staff of dental hygienists can take care of all your d- dental needs, your family's dental needs, you name it. Give them a call at 752-3506. You can also make a appointment on the web at northriverdentist.com. Usually going to get you in and out of there on routine cleanings in under an hour, sometimes way under an hour. I think 
I think my uh, number was about 40 minutes uh, the last time I went in there. But every kind of work there is, whether it's porcelain veneers, cosmetic dentistry, laser dentistry, pediatric dentistry, they do it all and can get your choppers taken care of at North River Dental Associates. Also want to thank a new sponsor of Talking Tide in Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, a smoke-free environment indoors, nice little smoking area outdoors, something for everybody down at Session Cocktails and Spirits, the most talented bartending staff around putting together pre pre-prohibition cocktails and modern classic cocktails. Uh, it's going to be outstanding. Not quite open yet. We're going to keep you posted on that. Uh, but it'll be at 2221 University Boulevard in downtown Tuscaloosa. I'm going to keep you right there in downtown. And we'll start with Brick and Smoke right there at Timerson Square in downtown Tuscaloosa, home of a top 10 breakfast in all of these United States of America right there at Brick and Spoon. That's right, travelandleisure.com ranks Brick and Spoon as a top 10 breakfast in the United States. And one trip's going to show you why. First of all, the options are endless. Whether you want omelets, whether you want traditional egg plates, whether you want French toast, you name it, it's waiting for you right now for breakfast and lunch and brunch at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. I love the three cheese uh, omelet. I've told you about that, a little ham in there as well. But again, anything to fit what you want in a breakfast they've got for you there. Great brunch options as well, lunch, you name it. And I've told you many times already about the Bloody Mary there at Brick and Spoon. Mimosas too, but that that Bloody Mary, you can make a meal out of that sucker. Uh, literally, I'm telling you, you, pick your proteins, pick whatever you want to go with that Bloody Mary, and they can do it for you. But the build your own option there at Brick and Spoon downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Also going to stay downtown to tell you about the very best pizza you're going to find anywhere. That is with our great friends there at Heat Pizza Bar downtown Tuscaloosa. Each and every weeknight, you're going to find a special starting at 6 o'clock in the evening. Now, Tuesday nights is one of the nights you're likely to find me down there at Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa because Tuesday night is the Thai chicken pizzas for seven bucks. Now, any of the nights of the week, you're going to find great specials. You're going to have wine specials for you throughout the week. Ladies' night there at Heat Pizza Bar as well. Full bar, so they got the craft cocktails covered for you. They got that Bon Voyage cocktail, which I'm pretty sure used to be the Jalen Hurts so good, but then when uh, Jalen transferred to Oklahoma, I think it took on the name of the uh, Bon Voyage for uh, uh, appropriate reasons, I guess you could say. But Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza, great, great place. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn rolls on with a few more minutes here before we get out of here. Again, the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide, if you want to follow us that way as well. Travis, we're going to very quickly go around the SEC uh, before we close things out here on Talking Tide. Uh, Auburn, Oregon, 27-21, a comeback victory for the Tigers, one that looked really bleak at one point for sure. Uh, definitely the SEC game people are talking about most. It is, and it was a game that had the feel of being all but over. Uh, but, you 
Georgia State 38, Tennessee 30, definitely an eyebrow raiser. It was a bad week all the way around for the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Memphis uh, knocks off Ole Miss. Wyoming knocks off Missouri. Uh, North Carolina knocks off South Carolina. Uh, But Georgia State over UT, Travis, uh, that was probably the biggest head-scratcher of all of them. Yeah, can the SEC West claim the SEC East as a dependent? That's tax return, good bread. talk about a bad week for the SEC East and especially in terms of money uh, financial. Georgia State gets 950k to go right up 75 uh, and take care of business uh, against the balls. And then Missouri, a 17 and a half point fave on the road in the Laramie goes down. The cold dogs good friends. Sometimes they got some sharp teeth. Yes, they do. the gate for the Southeastern Conference as a whole. Uh, no no doubt about it. That's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us midweek as we preview Alabama's upcoming home game against New Mexico State. That's going to be a 3 p.m. Central Time kickoff on the SEC Network. We'll preview that one midweek. Uh, thanks for joining us here on Talking Tide. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next time.